Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. Jude 1 and 3 reads, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. And that word, epakoniazomai, means earnestly content, to earnestly refute, to earnestly resist for the word, to resist those who counter the word of God, to refute those who are going against the word of God. In light of recent decisions, by the United States Supreme Court, as well as those in lower appellate state courts, it's apparent that America is devolving further into immorality. The world is now attempting to tell us that wrong is right and what is right is based on moral subjectivity rather than an objective moral standard. I expect the world to do what they believe is best for their lives and to do what the world normally do. I expect the secularists to attempt to erase all memories of God and from the annals of history as much as they can. I expect the fool to say in their heart that there is no God according to Psalms 14 and 1. I even expect the deist to say that they believe in God, but that God has retreated into a corner and has left us to run our own lives. While atheism may claim that there is no God at all, the pantheists say God is in all, and the theists profess God is all. With so many divergent worldviews, what are you and I to believe? Can we really trust this God of the Bible? Should we accept Jesus Christ as the authentic Messiah as the Bible proclaimed? Do we have a right to redefine what truth is? Do we have a right to to redefine the definition of what a man or a woman may be or marriage or murder or divorce or uh, motherhood or fatherhood. Do we have that right as human beings to redefine and recreate what truth is? The answer is unequivocally no. If God is real, and the story of him sending Jesus the Christ is true, then any claims that go against it 
must be false. For the law of non-contradiction states, two opposite statements cannot be both true at the same time in the same sense. So unequivocally, no to those who dare to say that two opposite statements both mean the same thing. We have gotten to a point that some alleged Christians have allowed themselves to be deceived by the enemy's rhetoric. They have brought into the philosophy uh, their own truth that can be changed to fit their particular lifestyle. Jesus, when we read the Bible, uh, gave an eschatological response. He says, the very elect will be deceived. Matthew 24 and 24. I am unequivocally stating that truth cannot be changed. Why? Because truth came out of the nature of an eternal God. As a result, the doctrines and principles rooted in truth are also eternal because they came out of an eternal God. When God created the universe, truth came with it. So as a result, all of humanity are responsible for handling the truth that God has already deposited. So truth is not left up to us to define. Truth has already been defined by the creator. God has already defined the parameters of, let's say, marriage. Ephesians 5 and 31. God has already revealed that manhood or womanhood is not solely based on the physical, but rather the composite of both the body and the soul. There is such a thing as sin. I realize that uh, many institutions and many churches are now not using the term sin. They don't want to offend anyone. They don't want people to have their feelings hurt. Uh, they don't want to seem as though uh, they're pre preaching hatred. But if the Bible says there's such a thing as sin, then we have to either embrace God and trust him for what he's saying, or rather we lean into our own understanding and start uh, trying to politicize and trying to be politically correct and uh, losing the sense or the power of the gospel that God has given us. Again, it's not left to humanity to redefine truth. Truth has already been defined. God has already revealed to us what his will is via the Bible. Now, sin do exist. And we define sin as falling short of God's standard. This is the issue today that the world has against God. The world does not want to be held accountable for their actions. 
they resist against anyone telling them what to do. However, there will come a day when every knee must bow and every tongue confess Jesus as Lord, according to Romans 14 and 11. Before Jesus comes back, we as believers must be about the Father's business. We must make ourselves available to contend for the faith which has been deposited to us. Our preaching must not wane regardless of the cost. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power as well as love and a sound mind. Second Timothy one and seven. I implore you, if you're listening to me today, please continue to contend for the faith. The lawless may not want to hear it, but you must continue to contend. You must continue to resist. You must continue to refute. They may compose ad hominem attacks against you, but please continue to contend for the faith. They may call you intolerant, but continue and contend for the faith that the gospel of Jesus Christ will be preached, that the gospel will be disseminated, that God may get all the glory and his people edified. We must fight for righteousness, not because we necessarily want to in our own power, but because God has called us to preach his word both in season as well as out of season. Second Timothy four and two. We must preach when Christian virtues are being espoused, as well as when the climate of morality turns against Christianity, as well as biblical teachings. All of us have an obligation as believers to not retreat nor recede, but rather to be relentless and do the Lord's bidding until he calls us home. The light that emanates from God through each believer must be present in order to balance and in some cases eradicate the climate of darkness. Will you today stand on the side of God and agree with him that certain actions are wrong as well as sinful? Or will you acquiesce to the popular movement of moral relativism? I'm willing to take the stance originated by Joshua. Joshua says, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I do not know specifically what assignment the Lord has given you, but I do know he has saved you to preach the gospel. By preaching the good news, you are invariably also contending for the faith. Our moral code of ethics does not come from the law of man, but from the law of God himself. 
Please remember this. When man's law conflicts with God's law, we have a deontological responsibility to always go with God's law. The Bible gives us numerous instances of God's people having to deal with such a moral dilemma. For example, the Hebrew midwives faced a moral dilemma. The passage in Exodus reads as thus. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiprah and the other Puah. When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. But let the male children live. And you can read the rest of when you have personal time for devotion. So the point is the king of Egypt created a law which blatantly went against God's will. The Hebrew midwives had a choice. Should we obey man's law or should we obey God's law? They chose to obey God's law. Then in the book of Acts chapter five, we find another incident where the same moral or similar moral dilemma appears. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one of them. Now just let me make this commentary. This Acts 5, chapter, six, uh, chapter 5, verses 16 through 29, is an extension of a narrative regarding uh, the early church and uh a couple that lied to Peter regarding how much donation they made to the church. And Peter reminds us, or rather the uh, Luke, the author reveals that the couple did not just lie to Peter and the rest of the apostles, but they were in, uh, directly lying to the Holy ghost. So God took their lives right there on the spot. Uh, read Acts chapter five. And so as part of this narrative closes, there's fear and there's trembling among God's people as well as those in Jerusalem seeing God perform such a mighty act in the presence of all the people. So uh, Jerusalem is buzzing. Then comes verse 16 in chapter five. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits. And they were healed every one of them. Now they realize uh, this is my commentary. They realize that uh, God is with the apostles because of what has occurred previously. Verse 17, then the high priest rose up and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, 
and were filled with indignation and laid hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came and they that were with him and called the council together and all the senate of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety and the keeper standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence for the fear of the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest and asked them, saying, verse 28, Did not we straightly command you? that you should not teach in this name and behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And really that should be our contention. That should be our mantra. That should be our theme. That we live this life regardless of what law you're under. Regardless of what man-made law has been instituted. If that man-made law explicitly and blatantly contradicts the word of God, we have a deontological duty to go with God's law. Whenever man's law conflicts blatantly and explicitly with God's law, we have a responsibility as Christians to go with God's law. For God is eternal. God sees today and yesterday at the same time. God knows what tomorrow brings and God has a better insight than we do. So when God prescribes something, he's not looking to negotiate with us. He's not looking to debate with us. He's not looking to uh, come to a middle ground with us. God is not negotiating with us. When God prescribes something, he requires for us to follow it through faith. And so here we are. We're living in an environment where Christian principles is slowly being erased from the textbooks of history, where Christian ethics is slowly being eroded by man-made laws. So what are we as believers to do? Well, 
I'm only reporting what the Bible tells us to do. We must contend. We must fight and resist. And how must we do this? We first must pray. We pray and through the power of the Holy Spirit, God will tell us which battles to stand up for. God will tell us where to go. God will tell us how to come together in love and preach the gospel in love. God would tell us not to buy into this formula of moral relativism, which states that my truth does not have to be someone else's truth, that we all can have our own subjective truth. And that is not from the Bible. God gives us an objective truth an objective truth that is binding upon all men women boys and girls regardless of creed regardless of economic status regardless of uh, their state in life God has a moral objective truth that's binding globally and we that know him we must preach the truth we can't stop preaching the truth. We can't stop sharing the gospel. We cannot stop going into the courtrooms and uh, fighting for moral uprightness. We can't stop uh, resisting. We can't stop petitioning. We can't stop having uh, parades to uplift the name of Jesus and to remind the world that even though you are set on unrighteousness. We're going to contend because we have a job to do. And that job is to wake the sinful world up from their moral dogmatics slumber. We're here. We're here to uh, present the gospel clearly. We're here to share the good news that you Jillian. We are here as Christians to emanate light. And we must serve as vessels. We must not negotiate. We must not compromise. We must not allow people to twist and pervert the word of God to fit their own consciousness. If you're listening to me today, please continue to contend. Please continue to resist. And in doing so, God will get the glory. And the church will be edified. And the sinner will be revived. We pray that you got a thought, uh, that you got a spiritual nugget from today's presentation. And please join us and become a financial sponsor of this show. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. Two weeks old, 
in an iron lung, which is, you know, like a sealed oxygen unit, um, fighting for my life. I couldn't, I couldn't breathe properly. I, and apparently I didn't make a sound um, from the day I was born because my lungs were all messed up. That's Martin Smith of Delirious sharing a personal testimony on The Walk, a podcast for worshipers. Join us weekly to hear songwriters, worship leaders, filmmakers, and other creatives tell stories in the form of a devotional. The Walk can be found on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast platform.